We're in Proverbs chapter 30 tonight. I'm going to um, look at a passage of Scripture and really focus in on a, uh, what I would call more of a devotional thought about our relationship to God. Proverbs chapter 30. Let's stand together and we're going to read two verses, verses 15 and 16. Um, this is an interesting chapter of Proverbs. It has a number of these um, just various examples of things that God, like in verse, verse 24, he says there are four things that are little on the earth. And then uh, verse 21, three things the earth is disquieted about. And uh, 29, three things verse, that go well, four are comely and going. So it's just a, a list of things, that uh, a numerous list. We're going to look at one of those lists in verse 15. The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, give, give. Two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. And these two statements go together. Horse, horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. And there are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. So we have three different groups of people here. One of them is saying, give, give. The other three are never satisfied. And four things say it is not enough. And all those really summarize or describe the same, the same uh, kind of characteristic, let's say. They want more, give, give. Uh, they're never satisfied, verse 15. They never say, it's enough, stop, it's enough. But the sentence continues into verse 16, and we have these four things that the writer of Proverbs categorizes with this attitude of it is an, it's, never, it's never enough. The first one is the grave, verse 16, and the barren womb. Thirdly, the earth that is not filled with water. And fourthly, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. So we're going to kind of look at this passage as a whole and focus in on the last one, on the subject of the fire. And the fire is never satisfied. Never, the fire never says it's enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and for the privilege of studying it together. We thank you for the privilege of reading it and studying it and applying it and learning from it personally, privately, individually. We thank you for the times we can discuss your word with one another. And we thank you, Lord, for times like this when we can study the Bible as a group. We pray you'd bless tonight. We thank you again for the word of God. We want to grow Lord, as we hear it and receive it and apply it, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the writer begins by talking about the horse leech. Um, I'm not familiar with a horse leech. I am familiar with leeches. We know what leeches are. Um, so I'm assuming a horse leech is a particular leech um, that was that was uh, common in the, in the Bible days. But as you know, a, a leech is a blood-sucking animal. Not animal, but a, a blood-sucking. Really, it's an annelid is what it's called. It's from the worm family. And so the leech, how many of you have ever had a leech get on you? Some of you have. We have 
common, leeches are common in the streams and ponds and rivers here in Missouri, as they're in most places. And it latches on to its prey. And uh, thankfully, I can't say firsthand, but I've, known, I've been with people that had a leech on them. I've been with people that are leeches. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> leeches, um, and that's not what this sermon's about, but leeches actually secrete an enzyme uh, when they latch on to a, something, latch on to a prey, we'll call it, uh, and that enzyme prevents the blood from clotting. Isn't that an amazing thing? So, that, so normally when your blood would clot, they put this enzyme in there that keeps it from clotting. And they also uh, have in them an anesthetic that, that, that kind of numbs it so you, so you don't feel it at first. Isn't that an amazing thing how God made them? It took millions and millions of years for that to evolve where they can, where they can kind of numb the spot when they're going to latch on so you don't feel it. And then there's going to be a, uh, is that an anticoagulant that would keep it from the blood from flowing? And uh, so we have, so that's a little lesson about leeches. And as you, and why do you call, why do people get called a leech? Because they sort of latch on to someone and they're just trying to get all they can out of them. That's really what, why a person would use that phrase. But this leech in verse 15 has two sisters that never say it's enough. One of them is the IRS. No, it's not really true. But they have two sisters that, that say, give, give. And there are three things in verse 15 that are never satisfied, yea, four, say not, it is enough. So the horse leech kind of introduces this, uh, this portion of scripture that's going to talk about three things, not just three, but four things that are never satisfied. The first one in verse 16 is the grave. The grave is never satisfied. The grave is always looking for more residents. No matter how many people have died, the grave will never say it's enough. Always looking for more people. The second, the second thing that's never satisfied is the barren womb. And we know that sometimes it's not God's will for a, every woman to, to uh, have children, but it's natural for every woman to want to bear children. And we remember the words of Rachel who cried, give me children or I die. The barren womb, the woman who cannot have children, the barren womb is never satisfied. The grave is never satisfied. Thirdly, he mentions the earth that is not filled with water. When, when there's a drought, when there's a, a lack of moisture, then uh, the earth is never, never says it's enough. I mean, we've seen... All of us have, or at least most of us have, gaping cracks in the ground from lack of rain. Being from Texas, we, can, we have seen a lot of that. The dry, parched land in a time of drought never says it's enough. Always wants more water. Always wants more moisture. And then the fourth thing he mentioned in verse 16, and that's our focus tonight, the fire that saith not, it is enough. The fire is never satisfied. No matter how much fuel, how much wood you put on a fire, 
it always wants more. It's never satisfied. It always wants more fuel. The fire never says, I've been around a lot of fires. No one ever, not one fire ever said to me, it's enough. Now, I'm not a, a, a pyromaniac. I'm not, I don't have an obsession with starting fires, especially in places and times that I shouldn't. But I find fires very fascinating. Uh, even mesmerizing. I think there's something sort of therapeutic about sitting around a fire. And, and so I find this, this proverb of particular interest because I like fires. We've had some close calls with fires. By that, I mean fires that just could have really gotten out of hand, but thankfully never have. When I read this passage, the fire never says it's enough. I'm, I think about sitting in front of a fire and just, and just seeing how that fire wants to devour everything it can devour. And we've seen it lots of times. You've seen it, many of you, burning fire and probably a little windier than you should be out there. And, the, and a little limb will, or leaf will fly, and before you know it, there's a fire started out in the field, and then another fire started. And we've had these things, my wife and I, numerous times. We've left a fire, we've watched the fire, tend the fire, the fire's gone down, it's evening, it's safe, and there's nothing there but some coals, and maybe two days later, there's still some smoke coming up. You know why? Because that fire never wants to give up. The fire is never satisfied. And you can take that fire that's been laying dormant for a couple of days and rake, put a rake in there, stir it around, and before you know it, you got another fire. Because the fire never says it's enough. The fire never gives up. Now when I read that, I think about fires in a natural sense, like I'm talking about tonight. But I'm also thinking, and this is really where the message is going, because in the Bible, the fire is symbolic of God. And I, we can see that throughout the scripture. I'll give you a few examples of it. The, the fire in places in the scripture symbolizes the person of God. And uh, one of the first examples we have in the Bible of God making a covenant with man, not the first, but one of the first, is when he made a covenant with Abram. And he told Abraham to take some animals and, and divide those animals, split those animals. And he did that. And uh, then after dark, after the, when night fell and after dark, the Bible says a, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those two pieces, those sacrifices. And that represented God. God is often seen in the Bible like a fire. Go with me, if you would, please, to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Here's a verse that uh, certainly speaks to that. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 29, last verse of Hebrews 12, the Bible says, For our God is a consuming fire. So I think the proof, the the point is well taken that a, the, a fire, now keep in mind what, what the writer of Proverbs told us about the fire is, the fire is never satisfied. The fire always wants more. The fire never says it's enough. And God is a fire. He is a consuming fire. Not a physical fire, but fire sort of symbolizes the way God is. 
And he's, cons- he's a consuming fire. That's the way God, God wants to do that. that. By the way, this kind of uh, uh, sheds light to me on an, any, any idea that uh, I want, you know, God is in my life, but God doesn't really want all of my life. No, God is a consuming fire. Just like the fire never says that's enough, God wants all of our life. Uh, when Moses was at, at Mount Sinai, at the time that he was going to get the commandments, the law, it says that the Lord descended upon Sinai in a fire. That's how he came down. Fire symbolizes the way God is. God gave Moses and Aaron instruction concerning the sacrifices. And God laid that out for them, and Aaron and his uh, descendants were um, set apart for this purpose of offering sacrifices And the first time they offered a sacrifice, the Bible says, there came a fire from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offerings. The fire came and just lapped up those offerings. And and that was God himself showing that he was pleased with that. In the period of the judges, Gideon made a sacrifice for the Lord and the Bible says there came fire out of the rock and consumed the sacrifice. Seemed like there's a, a consistency here, a trend here. That when they were offering these sacrifices, God came and consumed the sacrifice. In Elijah's day on Mount Carmel, when he was challenging the prophets of Baal, um, and they made this, built this altar on Mount Carmel. Elijah said this, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. We want the God that will answer by fire. So fire symbolizes characteristics, things, the nature of God. It symbolizes, by the way, the wrath of God. You know, when, uh, when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, what was, how did he show his wrath? By fire and brimstone. It's, it's, a, it's a characteristic of God. And uh, we're singing about the Lord coming back. If you're in Hebrews, turn to the left just a little ways to Second Thessalonians 1. And it tells us, makes a statement about the coming of the Lord. In Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 7, it says, And to, who, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. You know, I was just reading the other day, I knew the past, some of the passages in the Bible where it talks about what hell is like and, and a place where the fire never goes out. Fire... Fire is symbolic. It symbolizes God. It symbolizes His judgment. You know, um, it symbolizes pure His purification. Um, in Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, when it talks about the coming of the Messiah, this is what it says about the coming of the Messiah. He will be like a refiner's fire. Fire consumes. Fire purifies. Fire judges. Even talking about Christians at the judgment seat of Christ, the fire will try every man's work. 
our, our works will be put to the fire, just like, like a refiner, like gold or like silver. Fire symbolizes things about God, and it symbolizes, finally, the presence of God. God made himself known to Israel as they travel through the wilderness in a pillar of what? Fire. He made himself known. When God was dealing with Moses on the backside of the desert, how did God show himself to Moses? By Moses saw this bush burning, and yet the bush was not consumed. So the presence of God, the presence of God is symbolized in a fire. Now, having said all of that, how does this relate to us? And that's, that's what I want to uh, just talk about for a few moments tonight and on a devotional level because the God who is sim- symbolized with fire lives within us. God lives within us. And, and He is a consuming fire. And one thing we know about the fire is it's never enough. He wants, he wants us. He wants all of us. And I don't think a single person would say during most every part of their life, almost any segment of their life, any of us who've been saved for a short time or a long time, most of us, there'd be few times we'd say, you know, I know God has complete control of every single part of my life. The true reality is all of us struggle with areas and issues and things, but, the, but, the, but that doesn't mean God doesn't want to control them because God wants to control every part of our life. God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And the fire never says, that's enough. God, in my mind, God would never ever say to any living person, you've given me as much of your life and time and devotion as I want. Stop. God would never, just like the fire never says, quit putting wood on me. God would never say, Quit giving me your life. Quit giving me your love. Quit giving your... You've given me... God would never do that. Fire is a good symbolic way of seeing how God is. How, how, how much He wants of our life and how good He is to us. And, uh, so what does God want from us? What God wants... He wants our life. And fire to me in a way, symbolizes what God is doing in a person's life. You know, without even knowing anything about what I'm saying to you tonight, without ever thinking about it in this, in this um, application, most of us have heard people say, boy, that person's really on fire for God. <laughs> right? Have you ever heard anybody say that? And what does that mean? That means their life is just being burned up for God. Their life is being used for God. And... And I think this matter of fire speaks of our spiritual life. Not, not, not our spiritual life in the sense of what we do that's spiritual, but our sp- real spiritual life is who lives in us, who is, who is spiritual. And he, he wants to be our everything. Um, I'm in 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to go to the left a little bit to the book of Romans, that great 12th chapter of the book of Romans, and just notice 
in verse... Um, Let's just start in verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. So just use that verse as, a, as an introduction because God, God wants us to see this is what he wants for all of us. Kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. We're in Romans 12, 10. In honor preferring one another. Verse 11, not slothful in business. And here's the phrase I want to get to, verse 11. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Now that word fervent is an interesting word. What does that mean, fervent? And if you were to go and look it up in your concordance or look it up in a Bible dictionary, one of the synonyms of fervent is hot. He, he wants our hot life. He wants us to be fervent in spirit. God didn't want us to be spiritually cold. You know, when you sit in front of a fire, especially if a fire's been burning for hours, it's, it's incredible the amount of heat that comes out of a fire, isn't it? Not a new fire, but a fire that's been around for a while. And the, and the Bible says here, God wants us to be fervent in spirit. That, he wants us to be on fire. This, this gives you a, a kind of a contrast to the rebuke in, in Revelation chapter 3 of the church in Laodicea, where he says, I would that you were hot or cold, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. God said, I would, I would prefer that you be on fire and not just lukewarm. Because our God is a consuming fire. Go to Proverbs again, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 26. Many years ago, when my wife and I lived in the church parsonage, which sat out here about where the foyer is, um, we had an old Ben Franklin, um, wood-burning Ben Franklin fireplace, and, and uh, we enjoyed it. We liked to burn wood. We burned wood when we were, before we moved here. Um, but someone gave me a wood box uh, to, to put the wood in inside the house. And this scripture, if you look in Proverbs 26, 20, was written, handwritten on that wood box. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. But the first part of that verse kind of goes with the other proverb in Proverbs 30. Where no wood is, there's the fire goeth out. The only thing that will cause the fire to go out is if you quit putting fuel on it. Because the fire never says it's enough. Fire never, ever says I'm satisfied. The only way to get a fire to go out is to quit putting wood on it. Um, in reality, spiritual fire, and this is really the message tonight. Spiritual fire doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from anything you can do. It doesn't come from anything that we can change. Real spiritual fire comes from God. It comes from God. And if you're saved, when you got saved, God put a fire inside of you. Now, if he's, if you've, he's never done that, I'm not talking about a physical fire, I'm talking about a spiritual fire. A desire to serve Him, to live for Him. God put that inside of every one of His children. And that fire never says it's enough. 
It never says, that's all, you've done too much. My wife and I were reading that great passage in Exodus uh, in the la- yesterday, I guess, where they were receiving an offering for the tabernacle. Y'all remember that when God said to everybody, bring your stuff, bring your people bringing things to make the curtains out of and making things to turn into, you know, some of the gold for the different... And finally, they just had to say, quit bringing your stuff. We don't want your, we don't, don't bring us any more money. Don't, that's enough. Now, I don't think any Baptist church would ever be in that place. But the same token, the fire never says it's enough. So if you're saved, there's a fire inside of you. And you can't make that fire become a part of you because it's in you, because it's God. It's God. A saved person has God in them. And our God is a consuming fire. But here's the, so then this, then my mind goes, to what, then what happens to quench the fire? Because fires can be quenched, right? They can be. And that's why it says, tells us in the book of Thessalonians, quench not the spirit. Quenching means you pour water on it. It means you, you, dis, you extinguish it. And if a person, if a person is saved and their zeal, their fire is gone, it doesn't mean it can't come back. But the only way it'll come back is if you put the fuel on it. If you put the right kind of fuel on it. Uh, Where are we now? Proverbs, go back. I know we're bouncing back and forth, but go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is a passage most of you would be familiar with. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, obviously, I'm assuming this, and I think it's obvious, that Paul is talking to Timothy to encourage him in his spiritual life. I know sometimes we think these Bible characters never had spiritual weaknesses, but it's just not true. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, notice what Paul says to Timothy. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now that phrase is very interesting to me, that thou stir up the gift of God. And again, if you want to, if you'd take that phrase and look up that phrase and just do a study on that phrase, the stir up, it'll, one of the phrases that he uses to to describe it is fanning the flame. That's what it really means. Stirring up means you fan the flame. And anybody that's dealt with fire knows this. If a fire's being extinguished, if a fire's going out, one of the best things you can do is just give it some air. Stir it up. Blow on it. You know, do something. Stir it around. And that's, and that's what Timothy is being told here by Paul. He says, you've got this fire in you, but you need to stir it up. Not that, that, that's so different. And I think people have good intentions. They think, well, I just really need to be more spiritual. So I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to, you know, and those things are good. I'm not saying they're not good. And that's a part of stirring up, but you can't make the fire. The fire is in you because God put it in you. So what is it that fuels the fire? I'm going to give you several things from the Bible that actually fuel the fire. Because if we don't, you know, if you don't put wood on the fire, it's not going to burn. And the first one I want to mention, and I'm just going to mention each of these briefly, is fellowship with God. Spending time with God. 
Just coming in this building is good, you know. You sing, you fellowship, and, or at least talk to people and listen to preaching. But if you're not really spending time with God, then you're not, you're not really fueling the fire. You know, those disciples, after Jesus raised from the dead, and those disciples, those two men walking on the road to Emmaus, the village of Emmaus, and Jesus joined them, but they didn't even know who he was. But they walked along and had these discussions, spiritual discussions. And, and then afterward, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us, by the way? Just having fellowship with him, it just it's, it, it was like a fire inside of us. Fellowship with God fuels the fire. Spending time with the Lord. Not just reading your Bible, spending time with the Lord, having communication with God. But the second, and the second thing that fuels the fire is fellowship with the brethren, real fellowship, talking about the things of God. You know, you could you could be sitting around that blazing campfire and remove one of those coals out of that campfire, and very soon that removed coal will begin to lose its heat and its fire. You put it right back in that fire, though, and it heats it up again. And when we fellowship, fellowship, you know, I had a guy tell me one time that uh, he and another Christian brother um, enjoyed fellowship um, sitting in front of their television and watching these mixed martial art deals. And I'm thinking, I don't know that's exactly Christian fellowship. You know, watching people beat up on each other. Maybe it is, but, but the, the real fellowship is talking about the spiritual things and exchanging ideas and praying with one another. You keep that coal in the company of other coals that maintains its heat. That's why we need to be in church. That's why we need to be around each other. That's why we need to in, in, engage and involve with each other. So what keeps the fire fuel? Fellowship with God. One. Two. Fellowship with the brethren. Thirdly, is cleansing from sin. Because there's no question about this. I don't think this is, is really even debatable. That spiritually, the thing that hinders the fire more than anything is sin. The two verses of Scripture that talk about this are in Ephesians where it says, grieve not the Spirit. And he lists sins in there about uh, like bitterness and unforgiveness and, and let no foolish talk come out of your mouth. Those kind of things. Sin. He said, get these things out of your life. The other one's in Thessalonians where it says, quench not the Spirit. And that's exactly what that word means. It's what you would do if you're leaving a campfire and you're not sure if it's safe. You get some water and you put on there. You extinguish that fire. And sin has that effect on us spiritually. Well, any kind of sin, the sin of neglect, the sin of pride, the sin of any kind of sin grieves and quenches the fire that's within us. And the fourth thing, that fuels the fire. And that's when we, when we just give more of ourselves to God. And the reason I say that is this, because our God is a consuming fire. 
The more you give to God, the more he works in your life. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. All these examples of Gideon's life and Elijah's life and Moses and Aaron. All these people who from the Bible gave, gave their sacrifice, gave, their, gave whatever it was they're giving to God, and God consumed the sacrifice. Right? Well, that's Old Testament, but our God is a consuming fire. And the Bible says, give yourself to God. When, when I, as I as an individual, or you as an individual, any one of us, when we start saying, God, these areas of my life, I'm not going to let you have, what you're going to do is, it doesn't mean you, make you say you're not a Christian anymore, because if you're saved, you're always saved, but God's not going to be working in your life when you're not letting Him have your life. He wants to consume our life. The language of the Old Testament was, fire from heaven consumed the sacrifice. I, I really believe uh, tonight that obviously if a person's not saved, they need to be saved, they need the Lord. But I think there's a lot of times people are saved, but they've just extinguished the fire in their life by various things. I mean, what good is a furnace where there's no fire? You know, what... What good is your furnace? What good is your fireplace if it's not putting out any heat? And yet the truth is probably there are a lot of people that are saved and God is inside them, but they're not really, there's no fire. There's no fire in their life. God wants to take over our life. God wants to do that. He wants to. I was sitting... Uh, by the fire the other day, this was a couple of weeks ago, and my wife had this really big, we had this really big pile of brush. <laughs> the Johnsons know about that. Um, and I've just been, and this, been, this has been months, I've been looking for a day, when I had a day when I could just really devote to, because I, I like doing it, but you know, the days never were right. So one day, it was on a Monday, it was my day off, and the problem with it was it had been raining for a couple of days, and the other problem was it was supposed to rain again that, that day, about mid-morning. And I told my wife, I'm going to go out there first thing, I'm going to start the fire, and I'll see how far I go. So I'll go out there and get, take my chair out there and finally get the fire going because it was wet, but I finally got it going. And I uh, had my chair, and I was reading my Bible on my tablet, to me, this is the life at its best, right? Sitting there, had my coffee cup, the King James Bible, and a fire. Doesn't get much better than that. And uh, about 10.30 or so, it started raining. So I gave up on it temporarily and went in the house and did some other projects out in the shed and out in the garage and uh, stuff I needed to do. But a few hours later, um, it quit raining. And I looked out there, and there's a little bit of smoke coming up from it. So I said, I'm going to give this a second try. And I went out there, and sure, I mean, everything's soaked even more. It's been raining for hours, and it's all soaked. And, and, uh, but with a little bit of work, I got it going again. 
And I didn't have to do anything but just stir the fire and put some wet leaves on it. But I'll tell you, the fire never says that's enough. The fire always wants to burn anything it can, doesn't have hands, get its hands on. And so sure enough, it starts burning. And it's burning pretty good, really. And then it started raining again. <laughs> and so I had to give up again. But about three o'clock or so, it stopped raining. And my wife said something to the effect of, it's not going to work. And, and I went out there because she said that. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, it is, it is muddy, it's saturated, the ground is spongy, it's so wet. All the, all the limbs have just been sitting in the rain. But I stirred that fire, and again, the fire came back. And it reignited. And I was out there till nearly dark and got rid of that entire pile. But as I was sitting there around that fire, I kept thinking about this passage right here. The fire that says not, it's enough. But I, was, I wasn't thinking about just the physical fire. I was thinking about the fire of God. How God wants His fire just to keep burning in our lives. It's, it's, it's easy for a fire to go out. You just have to leave it alone. Eventually it'll go. If you don't, put any, if you don't give it any attention, if you don't stir it occasionally, if you don't put more fuel on it, it just goes out. Now the fire that's in you, if it came from God, it will never completely go out. But we have to keep putting fuel on the fire. And if you're saved, I said it before, there's a fire in you that God put in you. And that fire will never go out. We're not talking about an emotion. We're not talking about an emotional feeling. We're not talking about something that's... We're talking about God's presence in our life. But that fire can be quenched, and it can be grieved. As a matter of fact, I think it can be quenched and grieved to the point that you can't even tell if a person's really saved or not. Because really, when you get down to it, the only thing that makes us what we are spiritually, if it's real, is God. It's God. It's not, it's not because we go to a certain church. It's not because we've made certain commitments. All that's a part of our spiritual journey. But the thing that makes... I'll, I'll use this example. You know, when, when, the, when God was so disturbed... If I, I want to use the word frustrated. When He was so upset, He was angry with His people... And Moses interceded for those people. God, would have said, God said, let's just get rid of them. Let's just get rid of them. We'll start all over. We'll start a whole new group of people. And Moses and God are having this conversation. And, and, and finally, God says, well, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, if you don't go with us, if you don't go with us, then I'm not going. In other words, the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing, the only reason we're on this journey, it's not because of me, Moses, it's because of you, it's because of your will. The point being, you know, the only thing about our life that really will matter for eternity is God. 
and what God does in us and what God does through us. And if that is not being fueled and if that is not being rekindled, then that part of our life just diminishes. And so you have people who are really, whether really saved or not, I don't know, but people perhaps that are saved and say they're saved and think they're saved. And at one time in their life, they really were fervent, on fire, hot about the things of God, but that's long gone. And that doesn't mean necessarily they're lost. They may be lost, but not necessarily. It just may mean that they're not tending the fire. They're not putting fuel on the fire. I mean, even those lamps in the tabernacle, those lamps had to be trimmed. Those wicks had to be trimmed. Those fires had to have attention given to them. And you know what? You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And, you know, you could hear a sermon and be stirred up. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to keep that fire going, you have to keep stirring it up. You have to keep tending to it, putting fuel on it. Spend time with God. Spend time with God's people. Keep confessing your sin. Keep giving more of your life to God. And I'm telling you, God wants every part of your life. And that's the way it works. Amen? That's how, just, that's how the Bible described John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining light. He was on fire. Wouldn't it be something, young person, if your friend said that about you? He or she is just on fire for God. Wouldn't that be something if people at your workplace, your extended family said that about you? They're just on fire for God. They may say we're religious. They may say we go to church. But I'm telling you, we'd, we'd like for them to think more about that, us than that. And by the way, when you get on fire for God, somebody will notice it. Amen? If you start saying, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I know I used to, but I don't talk about that stuff anymore. Because, because I've gotten closer to God. That's the way it ought to be. Amen? Let's stand together, please. Four things never say it's enough. And one of them is the fire. Never says it. 